Patrick Harvey, Pastor Harvey, pastors the Pentecostals of McDonough. He's one of my dearest friends in this world. He's a dynamic preacher of the gospel. But more than that, to be a great preacher is one thing, but to be a great Christian is another thing. And I am thankful that Brother Harvey is not only a great preacher, but he's a dynamic Christian in his personal walk. I appreciate his friendship. Get behind the preacher. Go ahead and let him know you're going to preach with him this morning. Brother Harvey, come have your liberty. God bless you, my friend. Let's do that to the Lord right now, can we? He is worthy. in this house this morning the spirit of the Lord is here when here spirit is there is great liberty and um, I'm going to tell you I uh, first let me just say how much I love and appreciate this church this wonderful congregation this leadership here Pastor French I honor you Sister French my dear friend Brother Ryan French his family Brother Nathan French Bishop I just I love these folks I'm telling you this church is so blessed with wonderful leadership and I thank God for it Since Brother French asked me to speak today, since the very moment he asked me, I knew what the Lord had dealt with me to speak about today. And I'm going to preach with a very heavy burden this morning because there's such a cry in the spirit for every one of us to go higher and to put our roots deeper in the spirit of God. And there's a call from his presence there's a call in the spirit that I want to know you more. I want to take you to places you've never been. I want to reveal things to you. I want to use you. I've got greatness in store for you. Let me tell you, young people, adults, it's not wrong to want to do something great for God. God's not looking for somebody that wants to do something average for God. He's looking for people that want to do something great for God. And there is greatness inside of every one of us if we will allow God to move in us and through us. And I appreciate and I'm so proud of these young people this morning and these children that sing. I'm going to tell you, God believes in you. I believe in you. Your pastor believes in you. Your youth pastor believes in you. There's greatness inside of you. Seek first the kingdom of God and he's going to blow your mind. He's going to blow your mind. But while there is a call in the spirit to come, you better make no mistake about it. There is a call from this world to come back. Hallelujah. To come down. Hallelujah. And uh, the Spirit calls us to go higher and to go deeper and to go further. And if you're going shallow and you're moving backward, it's time to realize and question whose call you're following. Amen. Because the Spirit's calling us to go higher and to go deeper in consecration. But I believe there's a generation that is going to rise up and say, I'm going to heed the call of the Spirit and hear what thus saith the word of the Lord. And I'm going to let my life be available to the cause and the purpose in the kingdom of Jesus Christ because I want my life to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Anybody want your life to make a difference in the kingdom of God? Anybody want to be used by God today? Hallelujah. And I believe that we will be when we seek Him first. Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1, we'll read verse 1 through 2, 6 through 7, and 19 through 21. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Amen. Lord, help us today. Hallelujah. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Shelion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Verse 7. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Verse 19. So they, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? 
And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. And that's very confusing to me, Naomi, because I thought you left because you were empty. There's a famine in the land. The very reason you left is because you were worried about how hungry you were. You said you were leaving because you're empty. But now she comes back and says, when I left, I went out of here full. And the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So I want to just preach to you for a few minutes on, on this subject. Three graves and a hog pen. Three graves and a hog pen. If you will put your attention on the word of the Lord today, and if you will respond and receive his word, I'm going to tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, we can leave here changed by the power of his spirit. The Holy Ghost is here to minister to us today. Would you lift your voice one more time and let's ask God to touch us. Jesus, we're here to bless your name. Today, God, we're here to magnify you. We're here to lift you up. Let your will be done in our midst today. Let your perfect will be done in our hearts. I submit myself to the will and the purpose of God. Put your hand upon me and speak into my mind. Let my heart be fertile soil for what thus saith the word of the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ. One more time, would you give the Lord a good hand clap of praise before you see? Three graves and a hog pen. It continues to amaze me how this book is alive. This is more than a collection of outdated stories, but these are biblical accounts, every one of which are true. John 6, 63 says, It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. But the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick, and more powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This word of God is alive. And because it lives, a passage can speak different things to different people at different times. The same passage of scripture can have varying and diverse effects on us in different seasons of our lives. I mention this today because while I've often heard our text preached from concerning Ruth finding the love of Boaz, and although a foreigner, she came and was adopted into the household of faith and ultimately became one in the ancestry of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful story of grace and redemption and love. But I tell you today that not everything in this book and in this account is all positive. Contained in this account of what went on in this family, there is a shocking tragedy and there is a very strong warning. The Bible records for us that there was a famine in Israel during the days of the judges. It was in the time where Israel had developed a very dangerous pattern in their lives. They would backslide and God would allow a foreign nation to come in to oppress them. And eventually they would turn their hearts back to him. And so God would send them a deliverer and they would have a good revival that would last for a while. They'd pray back through and then they would backslide again. And God would send a different nation in and they would be plagued. And once again they would turn and say, God, please forgive us. And the mercy of God would raise up yet another deliverer and would drive the enemy out. And they would do that again and again and again. And let me pause right here and say that I'm very thankful for the mercy and the grace of God because it's his love and his mercy and his compassion that we're even here today and so I'm very thankful for that his mercy reaches out every time that I fail him but too many people come to church and feel the presence of God and then go right out those doors and do the same old things and live the same old way but I'm here to tell you that there is a relationship with God that you can have that goes far beyond sin repentance sin repentance the same old things over and over again the same mistakes the same failures I tell you today in the name of Jesus Christ that 
God is ready to shine his light into your life uh, from the very youngest uh, to the very oldest uh, and help you arise out of the darkness uh, that you have been living in. Uh, and he does not just want to make a small change. Uh, he does not just want to make a small tweak uh, in your life. Uh, but God is wanting to absolutely take over your life. Uh, God is wanting to mold you uh, and make you uh, and create something out of nothing. And if you will agree with his word today, uh, he will make something out of you uh, that will blow your mind. Uh, and even God will step back and say, that is good because that's what God does. <laughs> that's what he can do. In the beginning after creation, it was the first thing that happened. The Spirit of God moved. And today, the first thing that needs to happen in us is the Spirit of God must move. And when the Spirit of God moves, light will come. And He will fill the void that is in your life. And He will bring purpose and value and form to that which had no form. Because when the Spirit of God moves, it transforms everything. The Spirit brings light in places of darkness. The Spirit brings value in places of waste and worthlessness. The Spirit of God brings fulfillment in places of void because the Spirit brings light and value and worth. And it is so disheartening to watch men and women and boys and girls try to find worth and try to find value and try to find fulfillment all in the wrong places. Quit looking in the wrong places. You're in the right place today because the Spirit of God is here to bring light and value and worth. It's amazing what the Spirit of God will do in us and through us if we will let it move in our lives. It brings light. And you hear me, evil spirits can't hide in the light. Light is what we need. Light is what we have to have in our lives. So I warn you today, be careful in dark places. Bad things happen in dark places. Dark and cozy can lead to sin and guilt and condemnation. You better stay in the light. The light of God is what we need in our lives. It's what we need. It's one thing to walk in here and watch the Spirit of God move all around us. But it's another thing altogether to allow the Spirit of God to move in us and to change us so that when we leave this place, we walk differently and we talk differently and we act differently. We must allow the Spirit of God to move in us. And when we do, it will bring light. It will bring light. But what we must realize is that Satan deals in darkness. He is a dark dealer. And if you're struggling with a secret sin this morning, then you have got to drag it in to the light. I'm speaking to people right now that you are praying to God that what you're doing and what you're involved in doesn't get found out. But I've come with wonderful, liberating news that can set you free. You can drag that into the light of the Spirit and you won't have to keep hiding all of your life. There's freedom for you in this house today. You can arise out of the darkness you've been living in and you can start living in the light. It's the light of the Spirit that's going to bring you life, that's going to bring you fulfillment. Hallelujah. But we see Israel, they follow this pattern again and again and again. Sin, repentance, deliverance. Sin, repentance, deliverance. The Midianites would come and God would raise up a Gideon. Philistines would come and God would raise up a Samson. Ammonites would come and God would raise up a Jephthah. Time after time after time. Some 12 deliverers would arise and you would think that they had learned their lesson. It amazes me to think 
How in the world could they not get it in their head that if you fail God, there's going to be bad consequences. But if you turn to God, there's going to be mercy. Why did they keep doing it over and over again? You would think they would have finally learned that living for God is the best way and that living for God is the only way. Yet, when I look at them and shake my head in disbelief, I really can't say that people are all that much smarter today because the deceiver of men's souls still tries to convince people that life would be better for you outside of the church. He still tries to tell you and make you feel like there's something oppressive about living for God and that life would be freer and happier if you just turn your back and walk away from the church. But I rise to refute that lie and tell you that the greatest life you'll ever have is in living for Jesus Christ. He'll try to make you feel trapped and he'll try to make the boundaries of righteousness seem burdensome and that somehow you'd be happier on the outside of them. He tries to tell you when disappointments come or when hurts come or when trials come that the answer is to walk away. He tries to deceive you into thinking that you would be happier somewhere outside of the walls of obedience to God. And young people, you need to hear me right now because the enemy of your soul will try to tell you that this life is burdensome and you need to get free of this and when you turn 18 you need to go out and try it but I want you to hear this preacher today you will never be happy except living inside of the church you will never be happy except seeking first the kingdom of God the answer to your problems the key to your relationships the direction for your future it's all found in the safety of the house of God until my voice is gone because I am sick of the lies that come from hell that tries to convince people that every time you face a problem and every time you get your feelings hurt you ought to leave the church you ought to leave the household of safety no, no, no that is a lie I tell you what you need to do you need to run to Jesus you need to run to the church you need to run to the altar because you're never going to be happy and you're never going to be content if you leave the church behind. Never, 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 never. God knew what we needed. He's our creator and he knows us. He knows exactly what we need to function effectively in this life and to be happy and blessed in doing it. And so he gave us exactly what we need to have a blessed life. Are you ready? You ready? It's called the church. What you need to live a blessed life is to stay in the church. What you need to be happy in life is to stay in the church. You need to get your feet planted. And you need to say, I don't care what happens. And I don't care how hard it gets. And I don't care what this world thinks of me. I've made up in my mind. This is where life came. You can't run me out of here. You can't talk me out of here. You can't move me out of here. I'm going to live in the church. This is life. This is blessing. This is satisfaction. This is everything I need. It's all found in the church. Don't leave in hard times. Don't look elsewhere. Don't get dissatisfied or content. Delight yourself in the Lord because there is no life out there that compares to life in here. There is no life out there that compares to life in here. There was a famine. There was a famine and hard times come. I can't promise you that just because you're living in the church, you won't have some hard times. That's simply not true. And I don't know what caused it, but for whatever reason, there was a shortage of food. Elimelech and Naomi sat there on the front porch and looked across the landscape and saw nothing but dry, cracked earth. They've got two little boys running around the house crying for something to eat. And the pantry is bare and they're fearful. What are we going to do? How are we going to live? And somewhere, somehow, Elimelech brought it up and said, You know, sweetheart, I heard a rumor in the town the other day that over in Moab they've got food. 
And I wonder if maybe since things are so bad and we're going hungry over here and things are getting pretty desperate over here, I wonder if maybe we shouldn't just load up the boys and head on over to Moab because there's food over there. But you understand me right now. God never told them that they had to figure out the answer. God just told them to trust him for the answer. God never required them to figure out a mechanism for supply. And he never intended for them to take their boys to some pagan land populated with idols. God never intended for them to take those impressionable boys and lead them out of the house of Israel and go off to some pagan land and raise them there with idols all around them just because they had a little bit of peanut butter and jelly. And so I ask us the sobering and revealing question today. What temporary thing are we pursuing in this life that has caused us to turn our backs on God. What are we promoting to our families? What priorities are we teaching to our children? I'm going to tell every parent in this place, and you know it's true. If your house was on fire and your child was in there, there's not a man or a woman that would not have to be restrained by the law to keep you from going into that house after your baby or after your companion. And I tell you today that if we would do that for an earthly body, how much more should we do that for their souls? How much more should we arise and say, my babies are not going to hell. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to keep my family in the church. I want to make sure my family's ready to be saved. I refuse to take my family to Moab. I'm going to keep my family in the church. They should have never went to Moab. But they had apparently forgotten something about the God that they served. His name had been declared by Abraham long ago when God stopped Abraham's hand from slaying Isaac on top of Moriah. Abraham looked and saw a ram in the thicket. And in Genesis 22, Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh in the mount of the Lord. It shall be seen that the Lord will provide. They didn't have to go to Moab to get bread. God was going to take care of their needs. What they needed to do was say, honey, I don't care how hard it gets. Our boys are worth it. Our family is worth it. Our souls are worth it. We're going to stay here and we're going to trust God. I wish... I could have spoken with Elimelech. I wish he would have listened. Don't go running off to Moab. Don't abandon the place of worship that you have right here. Don't leave the land where the priests minister and where the sacrifices are offered. Don't go to that land where God's law means absolutely nothing. And here's the ironic thing, folks. They live in Bethlehem. Do you know what that means? Bethlehem means the house of bread. How ironic is it that they would leave the house of bread looking for bread? But yet over and over again, we see it. People that leave the place of satisfaction, looking for satisfaction. People that leave the house of contentment and wonder why they can't find contentment. People that leave the house of perfect love and then wonder why they can't find love. I remind you again, as I wish I could have told Elimelech, don't be lured away from Bethlehem on the false promise of Moab don't be drawn away just because there's turmoil don't be drawn away because your flesh gets weary don't be drawn away because it sounds better someplace else you need to make up in your mind I am going to stay in the house of bread somebody clap your hands and declare it right But they went. They made a tragic choice, but they left. And then they returned, and I read it to you. After a season, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, came back to Bethlehem, and they had heard that while over in Moab that God, just like he said he would, visited his people with bread. Imagine that. 
God came through. So Naomi decides she's going to return and Ruth goes with her, and you know the story where you lodge, I'll lodge, and your God will be my God, and your people, my people. And the two of them made their way back to the house of bread. Let me pause here for a moment and say, I'm glad they came back. They don't belong in Moab. Thank God they came back. And I know this morning that I'm preaching to people in this house today whose kids are not living like you would like for them to live. And the devil would like to discourage you and tell you that it's worthless and that it's over and that there is no hope. But I've come to rebuke that lie from hell in the name of Jesus Christ. They might be in Moab today, but I'm telling you that there can be a revival of those that have once known the truth. You just keep believing. You just keep being faithful. You just keep praying. God, they don't belong in Moab. They don't belong in that idolatrous land. My children don't belong in Moab. My grandchildren don't belong in Moab. I want them to come home. I want them to come home. The Lord's been dealing with me the last two weeks. I believe we're fixing to see a revival of prodigals start walking into our churches in Jesus' name. I believe it. Is there a mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather that would lift your voice and say, I believe my prodigal's coming home? They're coming home. They're coming home. They don't belong there. They don't belong there. I want them to come home. So they came back. And the Bible says that all the inhabitants of the city were moved. They were welcomed home. They had great rejoicing and great celebration because they had returned. And I pause here again to say that the church ought to celebrate every time somebody comes home. I'll preach it straight today and I'll say do not leave. But I'll also say that when they come back, it's not a time to wag your finger in their face and say you never should have left. It's a time to waken them home. It's a time of celebration because somebody has come home. That must be our attitude when there's a reunion that happens in Bethlehem. Welcome home. Welcome home. But the strange thing to me is that Naomi didn't feel much like partying. Oh, I'm sure she was happy to be home. And I'm sure she was glad to see friends. But something had happened to her in the meantime because she was very, very clear. She said, don't call me Naomi anymore. That name means pleasant. Now, I want you to call me Mara. That name means bitter. She said, I've changed since I left here. Don't call me Naomi anymore because there was nothing pleasant about my trip out there. Nothing pleasant happened out there. And there are people in this place today that have made that trip in their past that could testify there's nothing pleasant in Moab. Nothing. She said, my name is Mara. I'm bitter. I've got a bitter taste in my mouth. I appreciate the celebration. And even though she came home, and even though she's returned, she's got bitterness in her mouth. And you want to know why? The answer is found in a graveyard back in Moab. Because when she left Bethlehem, she was leaning on the strong arm of her husband Elimelech. And she was watching her two little boys play around at her feet. But now she comes home and things are no longer the same. You have to read in between the passages that we read earlier. Verse 3, my brother, Ruth 1, verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Verse 4. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah. The name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. 
her husband had died. And now verse 5, and Malon and Shelion died. Also both of them and the women was left of her two sons and her husband. I don't know the cause and I don't know how or why it happened. I only know that during that season that she turned her back on God and walked out into that pagan land that she made three heartbreaking trips to a graveyard in Moab. Three times she put on grieving clothes. Three times she wept until there didn't seem to be any more tears. She buried her husband in a pagan land. She buried her sons in a pagan land. And even though she's come back, there's something deep down inside of her that says, I wish I would have never left. I didn't know what it was going to cost me. I didn't know how bad it was going to be. I wish I would have never turned my back on the house of bread. I wish I would have never left the church. Why did I leave? The graveyard in Moab has even changed her perspective. She said, I went out of here full. What? You did what? You left here because you said you were hungry. You left here because you said you were empty. You left here telling everybody, I'm out of here because I'm so empty. But now she comes back and says, when I look back at it, I was really full in those days. And now I'm truly empty. Oh, help me, God. I wish you'd hear me right now. Fullness is not determined by natural blessings. Fullness is not determined by what you have here. Fullness is determined by the blessings and the favor of God. And she said, I had something then that I don't have now. And even though I've had plenty to eat, my soul is empty. Her stomach might be full but now her soul is empty. A graveyard in Moab would teach her something that Solomon would pin years later in Proverbs 15 and 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Oh, sure, Naomi, you've got plenty to eat now. Oh, but oh, how I wish that Naomi could preach to you today. I'd give her this microphone and she would tell you that no matter what happens, you better stay in the house of bread. No matter how bad it gets, never leave the church. Never. Never. Naomi would tell you that no matter how you get hurt, it's better here. No matter how uncomfortable your flesh may get, it's better here. No matter what Moab tries to offer you, it's always better here. Young people, adults, it's always better here. She would tell you not to go looking for something that might please your flesh for a short season, but then cost your spirit everything. Don't listen to songs of worship on Sunday and then listen to Moab's music on Monday. Don't dress one way on Sunday and then try to fit in with Moab on Monday. What are we doing? What are we doing? She would say no matter what you got to sacrifice, never ever go to Moab. She would tell you it's going to cost you so much more than you could ever imagine. It's going to cost you so much more than you can even fathom. 
There will be a price that you can't imagine. There will be a price that you cannot even fathom. When Elimelech looked at her the very first time and said, Honey, I wonder if things would be better off if we just went over to Moab. If she would have known that they were going to buy three cemetery plots in Moab, do you think she would have ever, ever agreed? Oh, yeah, honey, let's go. We'll have to bury our boys, but at least they'll get a sandwich. No! She would have rose up with everything inside of her and said, we're not going no matter what. I'm not going because I know what it's going to cost me. I am never leaving the house of bread because I know what it's going to cost. But see, here's the thing. She didn't know what it was going to cost. And she would plead with you today. And she would tell you there's going to be a price your marriage may bear it. Your children may bear it. And your very soul may bear it. But there will be a price. She would plead and cry with you to hear the concerned and burdened voice of a pulpit rather than the grief-stricken one of a Moabite graveyard. But both of them say the same thing this morning. Make a covenant to stay in Bethlehem. Make a covenant with your spouse that no matter what, we're going to stay together in Bethlehem. Make a covenant with your children. You ain't going to have to ever worry, son. You're never going to have to worry, daughter. We're never leaving the church. Make a covenant with your very own soul that says no matter how hard it gets, no matter what the enemy promises me, no matter how I get hurt, no matter if famine comes, no matter what's said, no matter what's done, I was born in Bethlehem and I'm going to die in Bethlehem because Moab is no place for me. It's no place for me. Naomi has a cousin in the New Testament and I don't mean literally. We don't know his name. We just know his actions. We call him the prodigal son. The one striking difference to me is this. He didn't leave over hard times. He left over good ones. He was spoiled. He had everything he should have wanted, but he wanted more. He demanded his inheritance from his still-living father. And while he was out of line, his dad gave him the funds, and he went away into a far country. When we leave the house, it seems we always go to a far country. And the Bible says that there were, he wasted everything he had on foolish living. And when the money was gone, so was his friends. It's amazing how that always happens. He was slopping hogs and... He was so hungry that he would have liked to just drop his head in the trough and eaten too. But they wouldn't let him because he wasn't worth to them what the hogs were worth. And the Bible says he came to himself and he returned home. And oh, what a day that must have been. And the father watching came and fell on his neck and loved him and killed the fatted calf and put the robe on his back, put the shoes on his feet because my son who is gone is now back again. And hear me, while the prodigal had no idea, hear me, we talked about those prodigals a while ago that's coming home, listen right here. While the prodigal had no idea, the greatest blessing in his life was that dad didn't move while he was gone. And when he decided he wanted to come back, he found his dad right where he left him. Still faithful, still serving God, still being obedient. And when that prodigal comes home, mama, grandmother, father, you know where they need to find you? Right here. Still being faithful, still being obedient, still loving God, still serving God. They need to find you right where they left you. It seems everything's great. And you hear me right now. Because Satan will try to lie to us even at the twisting of scripture. Because he tries to say to you, see, you can always come back. You can always come back and everything will be alright. But let me tell you what the Bible doesn't show us in this text. It doesn't tell you about how many skeletons that were in that hog lot of people that never made it back. Thank God we have this story of the one that made it back. And we rejoice over that. But we don't have any idea how many left and never came back. 
And I'm just going to say that in my personal experience, I've seen more leave that didn't come back than I've seen leave and come back. That's why it is the heart and the burden of this preacher and your pastor and your youth pastor to stay, stay in Bethlehem. Stay in Father's house. Stay in the church. Don't ever leave the church. <laughs> don't ever, don't ever leave the church. You can't play games with your soul and just think that one day I'll just do my own thing and one day I'll come back. One day maybe I'll come back. No, the stakes are too high. You're playing for eternity. We're talking about life and death, heaven and hell. Don't make a mockery of the word of God. Don't take his word lightly. You can't afford to play games. That's why, young people, you shouldn't be on your phones during Sunday school and during church. That's why if you're sitting beside somebody that just wants to mess around, you need to get up and change seats because this is the Father's house. This is where your life is changed. You're in the house of bread. You can't afford to be distracted. You can't afford to play games. This is the house of bread. This is where your life can be changed. But the enemy will lie and tell you, just take your chances. You'll beat the odds. You'll make it back. And when you do, everything will be just like it was. You'll sit at Father's table. You'll live in his house. He puts the robe on. He puts the shoes on. Nothing ever changes. But you hear me. That's also a lie. Because the older brother who got his nose out of joint because of the celebration over the return of a backslider. And while his attitude was wrong, yes, his attitude was wrong. He should have been at the head of the parade. That was his brother. But when he let his attitude get the best of him, his father came to him. My brother Luke 15 and 31. And he said, son, thou art ever with me and all that I have is thine. Your brother can sit at my table. Your brother can eat my food. Your brother is still my son. But your brother spent some things in a hog lot that he does not get back. He wasted his inheritance. I love him. I love him just like I love you. He can wear my robe and my shoes and live in my house, but he will never get back some things that he spent out there. He buried some things in a hog lot just as sure as Naomi buried some things in a graveyard. In that hog lot, there's a graveyard he could visit. He didn't bury a husband and two sons, but he buried dreams. He buried a testimony. He buried a ministry. Regret covers that place. And how he wishes he would have never went there in the first place. And if I could give the mic to that young man today, he would preach with passion that makes mine look like nothing. And he would say, you don't want to go there. It might look like fun, but when you get out there, it's miserable and it's terrible. And you can't wait for the day that you get back to Father's house. He'd tell you there's nothing out there that's worth giving up what you have in here. It don't matter how bad it stinks uh, stay in the ark uh, it don't matter how hard it gets uh, stay in the house of bread regardless of who comes uh, regardless of who goes uh, keep yourself in father's house keep yourself in the house of bread. and so I preached to nearby Naomi's and I preached to potential prodigals today not because I believe everyone hears about the backslide, but because I realize that any one of us could. And because I realize that there is a devil that wants to take us to hell. There is a devil, and he don't play fair, and he's after to take down anybody and everybody that he can. I don't want to have to witness one more penniless prodigal shuffling up the road toward dad's house, broken and heavy with regret. I don't want to have to stand in the gates of Bethlehem and watch one more widow from Moab come stumbling back through the gates and say, hey, hey, Pleasant, come on. No, no, don't call me that. My name's not. There was nothing pleasant about what happened out there. Call me bitter. Call me bitter. I've got a bitter taste 
in my mouth. Both of them were grieving at the cost of their journey. Both of them wished that they would have never, ever left. Both of them could preach so much more powerfully than I can. And both of them would tell you to listen very carefully when I tell you today with a burden from heaven, it's safer to stay than to take your chances that you might leave and make it back. Please don't leave the house of bread. Please don't leave Father's house. Please don't leave the church. And so I ask you right now, if you'd turn your ear with me to a distant graveyard in Moab and hear a lady as she kneels in the dirt of three fresh graves and she weeps bitter tears of regret that she ever left the house of bread. Oh God, Naomi, I wish that you could come and preach to every lady and to every young lady in this house. And I wish you could tell them with a burden, listen to me, I have been in here and I have been out there and trust me when I tell you it's better here. It's safer here. This is where it's safe. This is where it's safe. Oh, prodigal son, I wish that you could come and preach to every man and to every young boy in this house and tell them I have been in Father's house and I have been in a hog lot. And believe me, please, please hear me when I tell you it's better in Father's house. Don't ever leave the church. I wish that you would let the ring and the cry from three graves and a hog pen ring throughout the ages that is yelling and screaming and pleading at us this morning. Stay in the church. Stay in Father's house. Stay in the house of bread. No matter how bad it gets, don't ever leave the church. I've got more to say but right now is the time I wonder if there is a young person that would stand up from where you are and fall on an altar and not get up until you settle the issue I will never leave the church I wonder if there's a young couple that would come hand in hand and bring your family and not leave this altar until you have proclaimed our family is worth it our marriage is worth it our children is worth it that no matter how bad it gets no matter how hard it gets we're gonna stay in the church I wonder if there's a man or a woman or a boy or a girl and you've been playing games and straddling the fence that today you'd make a proclamation and say no more today's the day I'm gonna root the foundation today's the day I'm gonna make the I'm gonna make my calling election sure I'm never ever going to Moab I was born in Bethlehem I'm gonna die in Bethlehem I'll never go to Moab is there an elder that lifts your voice right now and proclaim I was born in Bethlehem I'm going to die in Bethlehem. Let three graves in a hog pen, let it tell you, never leave the church. Come on, let's have a praying church right now. Let's have a travailing church right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, you've been lured away. The enemy's been lying to you. He's been trying to pull you to Moab. He's been trying to pull you to hog pen. But today, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have made my decision. I have staked my claim. I'm never going to leave the church. I'm never going to leave Father's house. I don't care what they do. I don't care what they do. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what the world says. I'm never leaving the church. (laughs) Come on, mom and dad. Pray over your children right now. Make a declaration. We're never going to leave. I'm never going to leave.
Would you lift your voice? Come on. All over this tabernacle. Would you lift your voice and begin to pray? Come on. Would you make it? Would you make it right now? Make the commitment. Come coming back to I'm never the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry. Let's say this right now. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be baptized today. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you need to come up here and receive the Holy Ghost today. Today's the day to make your proclamation. I'm staying in Father's house. I'm going to be born in the house of bread. I'm going to die in the house of bread. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we have water. We have robes. You don't need to leave here without being baptized. You don't need to leave here without repentance. The Holy Ghost is here. I just feel like somebody in this house need to respond to it. God, I want to be baptized. God, I'm going to die out to my sin. God, I want your spirit to live within me. If you want it, you can come. Lift your voice right now. Man, I thank God for every tear. Every tear you pray. Every utterance that's going forth. God hears your prayer. God hears your tears. God sees it. It's not in vain. Come on, there's some roots being planted deeply. God's taking us to another dimension. God's going to use me. I'm going to stay in the house of bread. Devil, you thought you had me. You thought you had me, but you missed again. Here I am. There's still hope. I'm in the house. I'm in the house. I'm in the house of bread. It's all about you. It's all about you. 